and welcome back to We Not Me, the podcast where we explore how humans connect to get stuff done together. I'm Dan Hammond. And I am Pia Lee. Well, Mr. Hammond, we have an episode today that is very close to your heart. We're going to focus about agile teams and talk to Nap Peters from Nap. Now, well, let's explore a little bit with you. Come on, open up. Why is this subject so close to your heart? Yeah, so um, in, in the mid-90s, obviously when I was an incredibly young chap. Say, um, were you six? Yeah, six, exactly. I was um, working, working in the US um, in a big pharma company, and we were, it was pretty advanced actually, because we were already working in cross-functional teams. So I was leading a team. It was in medical devices, and I was leading a team with some amazing engineers, regulatory people, all kinds of, you know, really across the business. And we were delivering a product to Designing and delivering a new implant, actually. And so it's a complicated business. The thing about this was, though, I spent most of my time leading that project staring at Microsoft Project, the project planner, making a big Gantt chart with all the tasks that had to be done over a six to nine month R&D cycle and trying to make all the dependencies work. So oh, once we've done that, then we can do that. Or to do that, we need to have done that. And li- literally, I spent most of my time on that project trying to make that, keep that right. And so, which is just not time well spent. And if we'd had Agile at the time, I honestly think, Pierre, we'd have moved, I'd have spent, wouldn't have spent that time, would have just done things, been much more task focused, got really into it, and we'd have executed far more quickly. So um, when I discovered Agile years later, it was a real face plant, um, whatever, part, <laughs> face palm, face palm to sort of say, oh, all that wasted time. So I'm really excited to hear from Nat about how this is this can be done in a large organisation like that. And I doubt, Dan, you are on your own. I think there's a lot of us that have spent a lot of time on Gantt charts, Excel spreadsheets uh, and Microsoft projects. So, yeah, let's listen to Nat, who's going to really explain to us what it is and how uh, the value it is inside organisations today. Hi, Nat. It is so good to have you on the show today. Welcome. Hi, Pia. Hi, Dan. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you. And thanks so much for asking me to come along. We are delighted. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us a little bit of your agile resume. Sure. I'm probably not your traditional agile person, given I've spent about 20 years of my career very early on in HR roles. And it was probably at about that 20-year mark, I got the 20-year itch and thought, surely there's something else I can do with my career. And this ways of working world started opening up to me. And I jumped on board that when I was at Telstra and then started to explore the world of Agile. All things Agile, human-centered design, lean, all of these methods. And I've spent in and around the last nearly six years doing that kind of work in organisations here. I did a little bit of it in London and I'm back here again with NAB leading a transformation for the bank. Brilliant. And let's dive straight into this because agile is a word that is misused and maligned, I would say. So can you start with some definitions? What, you know, what, what are we talking about here? What is it? Oh, I love this. <laughs> 
And I'll start with what it's not. So when someone comes late to a meeting and says, oh, I'm really agile because I'm a bit late and I'm going to be Do a little star bit- jumps and twists or things like that. Is <laughs> it why they do that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Here's a cartwheel. I'm really agile. It's not that. That is not agile. Or, hey, look at what I did with my office. I've put heaps of bean bags in it. I'm agile. It's, it's actually traditionally method of working that applied mostly to software development and to project work. And a lot of people working in technology would really understand this method very well. And it's a method now that's being uh, expanded into organizations as a way to more modernize or change the way people work. And one of the big myths I want to bust around Agile is that it is in fact quite loose and it is ambiguous. It's actually the most measurable and target-driven way of working I've seen in an organization in all my years, working in many organizations and many industries. Yeah, it's definitely not loose or late, as some would suggest. And so I'm wondering, if I'm listening to this, if you're not agile, what's the other world? What's that called and and how does that work as opposed to not being agile? It depends on how much the method expands in your organisation. But if you relate it to projects, by and large, you'd say the way that most organisations work is through a waterfall method. So it's a top-down, there's a very traditional way of running a project full of Gantt charts and Excel spreadsheets and timelines and deliverables. And Agile, in fact, is a method that applies by and large to projects, although it can expand to run parts of the organisation. But it's made up of cross-functional teams, mostly of technology and business people delivering outcomes for customers. So it's a little bit different. It's probably a bit flatter and runs in a completely different cadence. So rather than having um, very traditional meetings attended by executives, one of the great principles of Agile is that executives have to come to the work. So they go and visit the teams themselves and see their ceremonies, their sprint plans, their retrospectives, and they engage with the teams as opposed to, hey, I'm a big leader, I have a big important job, you've got to come and bring your PowerPoint pack to me and present to me on your project and all your milestones and how you're spending the money. Agile pulls leaders more to the teams, which I think is a wonderful, again, more modern way of thinking about how organisations work. That is wonderful. And we may revisit that later now, but I was wondering if you could just, could you, t- you mentioned teams. That's what we're all about here on We Not Me. Could you take us into one of those teams? What's that experience like? You mentioned ceremonies. What, what's it like being in a team that's operating in an agile environment? It will take different forms in different companies, depending on their application of which agile method they use, because it's not a one size fits all is the first thing that I would say. So we can subscribe to very different methods. The one that I've mostly used is Scrum, and that takes um, a different form of, of what a squad looks like. But mostly it's about 10 people that sit in a squad or a team. It's pretty flat in the organization. So I like to keep my squads no more than three layers in total. And what I mean by that is there's an executive, there's a leader that sits on top, and then there's the squad or the team itself so that you're not too far, again, from having executive engagement. And you're also really close to the customer, really importantly. So those teams have to be very in close proximity to the distribution or front end of the business. And then in that squad itself is a beautiful collection of really capable people driving a business outcome or a mission, however you want to describe that. 
So you'll have some pretty key roles in there, like a product donor who helps refine the backlog and and helps the team move through the work. But you've got a whole cross-section of experts. Again, most of our modern work that we think about for customers is very digital or or has a development software development orientation to it. So about 70% of the squads that I sort of work through the design process at technology resources, they could be architects or developers, and then the rest could be marketing, pricing, product management people who come together to deliver on that new customer product or proposition into the market. And when you've got, so you talked about having these experts and something we've talked about, I think Owen Finnegan talked about it, you have a team of champions or a champion team. How do you harmonise them together? So how do you bring them together, all this level of expertise, you know, being a master in specific things? But Yeah, I've thought about this a lot and I see it in action. And the best teams, the best, most successful teams are really low ego. So I think you can have a team of champions as long as their ego is kind of checked at the beginning of the sprint or when they get in the team. When you're in this kind of way of working, you are connected with a whole bunch of ceremonies. So it doesn't matter whether you're paid $200,000 a year or $50,000 a year. You're equal in the squat. You are just as valuable and just as important because you have a contribution to make. This whole, oh, you're from the technology team or you're from the business and you're a bit this and you're a bit that. I've heard that everywhere I go. In the squad, they are beautifully connected on a common goal and a purpose, which is great. So I think all of those ego and the baggage of where you come from and where you've been and what you're paid. The ambition with that squad is that it's it, everyone is valued, everyone's contribution is equal. And then when you're setting up your sprint, which is normally a two-week package of work that you're delivering to get to the ultimate mission, you're all asked for exactly what the work is that you're going to do over that period to contribute to the goal. Again, if I've got 20 years experience or five years experience, it really doesn't matter because I still have to deliver those outcomes in service of what the team's trying to do. And you can see the power of the collective, whereas perhaps sitting in your normal silo in an organisation, you don't see that. You don't really see the value of what you do to drive the outcome. And so I think over time, you could see yourself as a champion, but you get into this squad or this team in your flat, in the, in the hierarchy, and you're all really accountable And I give you feedback whether I think you have some fancy title or not. You are just as accountable. I I don't know. I I think that you're actually a champion team. You might not start that way, but the cadence and the rhythm of Agile will get you to a place where you're a champion team. You you mentioned sprints. Can you talk about how how they work in teams and why they're better than just normal project management? What I like about them is that the decomposition of work in Agile is pretty clear. So you go from, I think we've probably all worked in organizations where you see a company's strategy and you say, that's really great. And maybe at some point they all look a little bit the same, but you're saying, okay, that's that's the long-term vision. How do I break that down into what I do every single day? And the decomposition of work in Agile is pretty clear. So you take the strategy and what we do at NAB is take that into a business outcome. And these are the outcomes that are going to be driven by this particular part of the business to deliver that strategy. We have a whole lot of checks in place that we put in place to make sure it's actually going to execute on the outcome. Then you break that outcome into what we call an epic. So the business outcomes normally one to three years, depending, and we put the investment in the same time horizon so that the business leader knows they've got funding for that period as well. But normally it's about a 12-month container, the business outcome. 
And then we break that into what we call epics. So we we time box them into three-month cycles. So we say every three months we're going to deliver some shippable product. We would describe it to deliver that business outcome ultimately to achieve that goal. And then that epic is broken into features and then stories. So they become smaller containers of work. So a feature might be anywhere from four weeks to 12 weeks to get to that epic. And then the stories, again, is another layer. The story level is very much for me as an individual, and that forms part of the sprint plan. So that effectively a sprint is, okay, we're going to achieve this three-month epic. We're going to break that down into two-week sprints, and every two weeks these are the stories we're going to deliver. And I'm going to deliver, if I'm in marketing, I'm going to deliver these eight stories, if that's what is I'm accountable for, in these two weeks it's going to get me to the ultimate outcome. So what's different about that is it's not a project manager who's doing that and saying these are the tasks that you will deliver in this time to achieve this goal. And we've all seen varying degrees of success. Some of those project managers really deliver well, but some of those can go, there's delays and there's all those unexpected factors that can put constraints into the project because it needs a bottom-up view as well. Having the squad do it, you actually get a more accurate view. Now, of course, we always have delays in in delivering in Agile, but you're constantly iterating and refining and getting better at being able to put a time box around your work. But that, that's effectively how it works. I'm just thinking if, if somebody's listening to this and hasn't applied Agile, they'd be feeling a bit bamboozled po- possibly because the language is is an interesting one. So my question is... What do you notice about teams that transition from a traditional way of working? You talked about waterfall, top down, and then they say, we're going agile. What do you notice about that, that journey? I think it's Bridges, the, the, the change man. William Bridges said, you know, organizations change and people transition. And generally that's got a bit of a bad loop to it. So what have you seen? How, how are you trying to help people move towards this very different way of working? This is a really fascinating question. Because if you know Agile, you will have a little bit of anxiety about going into the model because you think, oh, wow, I'm really going to be accountable. We talk so much about empowering teams. You actually do empower teams when you implement an Agile model because you are pushing the decision rights down into the team. Some people are terrified by that because... There's some safety in being able to put blame somewhere else or for things working a certain way. And the dysfunction in an organization becomes very normal and safe in some way, albeit frustrating. So people that know Agile normally feel a bit of anxiety about it. And people who are just crying to deliver outcomes and cut through all the complexity and simplify things and drive good outcomes and do good work they love it as well. So the people who are ready seem to love it. The people who don't know anything about it seem to love it. And the people who know something about it and are a bit cautious and not quite sure, there's a path that they have to go on to to really adjust to the way of working. Dan, I don't know whether you remember this. We brought Agile to LIW when we were both working in there, which is a professional service business. And that wasn't necessarily your archetypal type of business for that. And I'll never forget, ran. Kanban. So, you know, you, you, you're putting this sort of like diagram where you could, you can monitor your flow of work. And I remember the team gathered around it and everyone started crying. And I thought, this is going really well. This is, this is fantastic. 
So there was just that, just that emotional. And what it was, which I think is an interesting psychological thing, people had work that they held to themselves. So this suddenly felt out of control and a little bit exposed. Yes, and it's a great point because, again, I think one of the wonderful ways that Agile impacts an organisation is that peer-to-peer feedback. So it's very transparent what everybody's working on. And if I'm not delivering, Pia, you should be saying to me, Nat, where are you at this last sprint? You were off and you've only delivered two days of work out of this 10-day sprint. What was going on for you? And what do we need to do as a team to plan this better for you next time? And we've had to share the load and now we're, all of those things become much more transparent and you're, again, as an individual accountable for that. So it can be terrifying, but what when you're in it, it's like everything. Once you're in it, and I really believe in people learning through doing, I think as much as you can put people into a classroom and say, this is agile, this is a product owner, this is an agile coach, and this is a sprint, you learn when you're in it. And the way I've seen leaders transform is, again, trying to do leadership boot camps and leadership training and, and all of these things are really important inputs. But when you get into the work, that's when you need to train them. Two months in, when they're terrified and saying, I don't even know what I do anymore. These, I'm telling these people what to do and they're telling me to go away, that they've got the plan. And so I'm just, what do I do now? What's my purpose? What's my role? That's when, you know, they need that that nurturing and that support. I think it can be, it's quite a process to actually go through all of that change and and really make the shift. But I think that happens in iterations, actually. And I think it's like any change. It's a massive roller coaster. It's filled with terror and joy and pride and tears. It's like all change in life. And it's no different in organisations. It's no, it's no different doing something like this. Now, when you were talking through that example of something is not done, and our experience of, um, certainly my experience of Agile, is that's very, yeah, the transparent execution. This is my task for this time. And if it's not done, actually, Pierre, we were on a team yesterday and there's something I hadn't done. It was really clear that that, that had not happened. You didn't, How do you, you, didn't you cry. I didn't cry. Not only after the meeting, oh, I, had a little, I had a little cry. <laughs> but the there's a danger then, potentially, is there, that you become very actually task focused and you don't ask the question as you did what was happening for you there's a piece that how do you balance the sort of discipline with the understanding of what conditions did that person have that meant that they didn't deliver i'm not making excuses for my task but there are all kinds of things that might have affected that how do you balance those two in an organization i think that's that's where the mindset element of all of this and the cultural element of what you're trying to change in the organisation comes into play. Because when we think about Agile, the safe place to go is to the method, right? And the method gives you safety because you can follow, if you like to do this, a rule book that just lays out the method. But the mindset element is massive in all of that. I think that takes a lot of nurturing, actually, and a lot of care over time to create that safe place where people can have that conversation together. And it's without judgment. And again, in service of the outcome, not to penalise the individual necessarily, albeit you still want a bit of performance edge. But it's where the agile roles is really important. Where I've seen agile succeed and where I've seen it fail has all been pretty much predicated on the kinds of people that we've put into key agile roles like the product owner, like the agile coach, 
because they play wonderful support roles to really build that capability in the squad or in the team. And the coach plays a critical role. So the coach is always looking at method and mindset. So in things like retrospectives, when you do things like that, you look back on the last sprint, the team ha- should have an opportunity to give each other feedback. What worked well, what didn't work well, that's a live conversation in something like a retrospective where I've seen it work well. If you've got a wonderful PO or a agile coach, they should be facilitating that conversation and making it more normal and acceptable. And again, role modeling that behavior is really important. I think also for senior leaders to come to those ceremonies and again, listen without judgment and not jump in and ask a million questions. And that's a really hard thing to do, but not default to some of those traditional behaviors is really important because what you want to do is you want the team to be self-managing. You want them to drive performance for each other in the right care and consideration, as opposed to a leader constantly feeling like they have to come in over the top. And Agile was really born in the sort of development space in technology, but is now, I mean, you're in a bank. Is there a certain type of organisation this works better for, or maybe one that it doesn't work, or is it something that you're now seeing, no, this is pretty across the board? Yeah, I think I've worked in telecommunications, media and telco, and now banking. And I would say it's worked in each one of those industries and organisations, varying sizes, varying global reach, varying challenges that they were facing that that sort of prompted a more dramatic change. Yeah, I think it's industry agnostic, actually. I I don't think that it works better in one organisation or another. I actually think some of the digital natives, some of the fintechs, these uh, smaller organisations that are disrupting some of these traditional companies are born this way. So they've got no choice. They they have to operate this way. You've got to be much clearer on what you're driving. You've got to know who's accountable for what. And you're naturally working in a digital born way because that's the way that you're engaging in the markets that you're operating in. And so it, it, it naturally becomes that. I think organizations, we just complicate things over time because someone needs to govern that and someone needs to lead that and who's the, what throat am I going to choke for this particular thing? And I've heard all these things in my career, but these are the things that we've put in place in companies to make someone at the top, I think, feel really safe about all of that. And that's not necessarily right. I mean, I think that now we have to think and adopt the ways of the disruptors. Otherwise, we won't survive. I mean, I just, I think that applies in a lot of industries. So yeah, I would say if you're not adapting your ways of working, I would worry actually about the the longevity of of that industry or that business that you're in. And in in terms of team type, Nat, you've painted a picture of a very flat organization where the teams are genuinely empowered to deliver. What about, um, you know, do executive teams still exist in this environment? And in in, in which case, and how do they operate? How do they take to it? Yeah, how much do they like it? (laughs) Yeah, how much do they like it? Exactly. The people who found the dysfunction to be safe. Yeah, it's a big change when you're on an executive team at that level to change the way you work, given the way you work got you to where you are. So that's difficult to say, okay, so everything that made you really successful, you have to forget about that and operate a different way. So I would say the ability to adapt to that happens over time. It's not dramatic. It's not like you say, we're launching into an agile organization and we're all operating agile. Some companies have done that. 
but the executive team adapts over time. Normally what I see happen is, and for me, I get a lot of airtime with the executive team and with Ross at NAB because they are very passionate and committed to making the right level of change and conscious design choices as we go through this. So they're very engaged in it themselves. And I hear a lot, oh, they need to role model it and they need to be an agile squad at the executive team, otherwise it won't change. I actually don't believe that. I believe that depending on the scale of the change, part of how they work has to be agile, but part of it, there's a whole lot of risk and governance work to how you run a bank that actually does not apply to agile. I respect that they've got to balance both. But when they're in with their teams, what's most important is they role model the behaviours. So go to the work Make sure you're going to the ceremonies. Go to the teams. If you have a question, don't have the teams come to you. That's the most important change, I think. And then over time, I think we can make the executive team work more agile, particularly when they're driving common goals and common outcomes as a team because they already have all the capabilities around the table, so to speak. But I wouldn't say that they would be working as a squad necessarily. Yeah, and that's interesting because I think sometimes that is... It's a bit of a sheet dip approach, isn't it? Everybody's got to be the same. But actually, there's more about how do we set the conditions for success. So their role as executives is not to get in the way, but actually to enable the organisation. So you know, there may be behaviours or their approach, their support bit, but it doesn't necessarily mean, as you say, they have to adopt that. Yeah, and what I see in the NAB context now is when we have to make rapid decisions around prioritisation of resources or business outcomes and we get stuck in some of our operating model areas and we can't move forward because we've got resource constraints and they have to make a call, they will jump on a call very fast for me, 15 minutes, rapid fire, we look through the list, they make a choice as a team and then we move on. Now, that to me is incredibly powerful because that happens very fast. If you think about getting in the queue to go and present to an executive and giving a business case and a pack, I don't have to do that. I just send them a note and say, we're getting stuck on this. We need you to make a decision. And they do it. So for me, that's incredibly powerful. And that's showing really good leadership of the agile model. So I don't need them to be a squad. I need them to provide leadership across the organization so the squads can perform and they don't do anything like, uh, we call them break-ins at NAB, but executive break-ins are the most disruptive thing. So going to the squads and saying, hey, I've got an idea. Why don't you try and do this? That's very unhelpful. So making sure they don't do those things, I think is really powerful. Yeah, a break-in in the bank yeah. is probably not a good one, is it? It's exactly, great. Exactly, yeah. We call them drop-ins, <laughs> but I think they're more. it's more like a break-in, definitely. So now this is so rich, and I think you've really articulated it really clearly for us and they're gonna there's gonna be i think some people listening out now who are, who are teetering on the edge of the waterfall thinking can i take the leap into agile so what would you as a wrap what would you suggest like maybe two or three things they've got to really think about or got to consider that could make that transition easier as they start to think of how to apply it yeah, when I started this, I wish someone had given me a list of things to think about as well, because I think it's really important to know what you're getting yourself in for. The first thing I would say is it's all big changes you make in life. This might be a bit philosophical, given what we've been through the last couple of years. But as you're making big changes in your life, you're never going to feel ready for that. There's always going to be that part in your stomach that 
is anxious and unsure because you haven't done it before and you're on the edge of trying something new. My life motto is always foot to the floor, mate. When you're feeling that, you've got to go, you've got to go for it because you'll never feel ready. You'll never have all of the perfect bits in place that make you feel beautiful and comfortable about change. It's not the way change is. The second thing I would say is be really clear why you want to make the change. So don't just do it for change's sake and all oh, the cool kids are doing agile. Maybe that's the thing. I would say no. The way I'm applying the agile method at NAB is very different to how I did it at Telstra because the challenges are different and it's not the same organization. It's not the same industry and I'm solving for something different. So I'd say be really clear what you're trying to change in your organization and then work out if Agile is going to provide you with the right solution. And then the third thing I would say is make the change within your own organization. It's really important to have great partners, really strong consultants, experts that can help you, but you have to lead the change in your organization from within the company. So it has to be a leader-led change. One consistent thing that I've applied across all of the the transformations has been co-creation. So it's another little thing that I'd add in there as a, a special extra for your listeners. But you have to design the future state organization with the people who are doing the work, not a bunch of people who think they know how things work around a whiteboard. That is unhelpful. That gets you to a theoretical place. It doesn't get you to a practical place. So you have to involve your teams, the people that you want to liberate, the people that you want to make go faster and have decisions and live their purpose, let them design it because any day of the week when it's not working, they will work hard to make it better for you because it's their model. And so I think that's an incredibly powerful way that you can open up the organisation and break some of those traditional barriers is by bringing people into the fold and co-create with them. Wonderful, Nat. Thank you so much. I think you've painted for us an amazing picture, not of that sort of, you know, the trendy, agile thing that sometimes people have a picture of, but really a an opportunity to build teams that feel, that are accountable and genuinely feel accountable and, uh, and where an organization can execute at speed. I think it's been just really refreshing to hear from the inside of a large organization how that can be done. So thank you so much for joining us on we not me Nat. it's my absolute pleasure thanks for having me it's been great great thank fun. you well that was really insightful and that gave us a lot to think about and it's great to hear from someone who's a real expert in their field but it it took me down memory lane took me down a few years back and i was thinking about liw's transformation you know professional service business, traditional way of working, incredibly customer-centric, and then positioning itself for a major transformation to the organisation that it is today. We talked about that standing around the project board known as the Kanban and people's emotional response, but it actually also made me realise there's a lot of language that can be quite overwhelming and it's like anything, it's different and so therefore you can dismiss it. I think there's so much more to it that once you've experienced it and got your head around it, 
it's difficult to go back. Yeah, very difficult. And I really hope that people who haven't used Agile, or to be honest, which I've heard from from people are quite sceptical about it. Even the name seems to be, it doesn't always have positive connotations. But I really hope that the listeners will, will consider this because I think for us in that organization, you know, as you say, both working in a professional services business, very fast moving, customer centric, but we wanted to transform. And I think we actually had a history, to be honest, of delivering for the customer, but actually we'd have these strategic projects that were transformational, that would take us onto the next curve, if you like. But they they tended not to get done because there was always a customer need that was the you know the crocodile nearest the canoe and so the shift to agile actually helped us to deliver some of those in a really disciplined way and it accelerated us hugely so but as you say some of the language and also that cultural shift it's not a slam dunk you can't just say oh here it is let's move to that there's there's a lot of sort of skills but also some mindsets that required shifting for all of us and i think the other part was it really enabled talent within our organization to shine. People who were brilliant at organizing things and running things. You know, this whole idea of scrum masters, you know, we'd never had that concept. So it was really liberating. Uh, And I think what we'd ended up doing was that some of us that were very busy were just like huge bottlenecks in the business's transformation. So it released it, brought all that talent together and enabled with really quite astonishing speed for us to start to grow and transform into, at one stage, both a professional service and a platform business. And it comes back to the story I told at the top of the show, which is actually just getting everyone to talk, get really clear on your goals, but get get everyone to share all the tasks which they've been possibly doing, just doing themselves, share those. And then you've got what's you know called a backlog. And um, Nat mentioned that. That's literally the list of all the things that you need to do, that you can think of to do. But then that moment of, right, we're going to set a two-week sprint just a sort of simple time and we're going to move we're then going to decide what we are going to do in that time box and we put that into in progress and we all work on it. it's really transparent you might have these little meetings quick meetings called stand-ups to just check in and see if there are any any barriers to completing it um, and then at the end of the time, end of the sprint, very simply, you just have a conversation to see what's left, what was so well, how can we accelerate? And I think the essence of that, while there's a lot of jargon, to me, at the heart of Scrum is that really simple cadence. And it's so, it makes common sense. And honestly, I've worked with clients and um, we started using it within 15 minutes. I mean, obviously, there's more to it than that, but it, it's sort of a very simple thing to do. So, I would encourage people to cut through the jargon and just really think about the basics of this this idea and um, give it a try and keep learning. And what, Dan, would you recommend to read? You know, what, if you've got one book that you would recommend or for people who are thinking about this that, that isn't going to overwhelm? The book Scrum by Jeff Sutherland actually is a is a good read. It's not too thick. You know, I'm an engineer, so I sub-vocalise. My lips move when I'm reading, and I got through it in reasonable time. <laughs> but that that really sets it out in a and just a really pragmatic way and, and will just get you started. It's a good read, and it's pragmatic, so you can use that as a good starter. Maybe, fingers crossed, one day Jeff can... We can get him on the show and then he can actually talk about the book then. That would be wonderful. Awesome. I think he has many hair-raising stories to tell of some pretty major projects in, in NASA and elsewhere. So that would be wonderful. 
Great. So that's a wrap for this week. Next week, Pierre, we are taking a bit of a shift into looking at customer-centric teams. At the heart of Agile is this customer as well. So we're going to be talking to Stuart DL, who's really spent his career looking at and helping organizations and teams build customer centricity. So I think we'll have a really good conversation with him. Can't wait. So that's it for this episode. You can find show notes and resources at squadify.net. Just click on the We Not Me podcast link. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share the love and recommend it to your friends. We Not Me is produced by Mark Stedman of Origin.fm. Thank you so much for listening. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. 